0: It's a privilege to be with you today when Barry asked me to come and fill the pulpit for him. Uh, he told me that Ben was going to be gone, he was going to be gone, um, but he had me when he said khakis in a dress shirt. I said, no tie, no robe? I'll be there. I'm just kidding. It is an honor to be with all of you this morning, and to, to worship with you today has been, um, God is so good to us. How do we put into words what it is to worship Him? It is to be alive. It was uh, about 1970 that my parents, who had been called to be missionaries, moved to Guadalajara, Mexico on my birthday. We moved into a little apartment. Mom baked my birthday cake. It had pink icing on it. It was strawberry icing. And what I remember most about that, and I know you're thinking, you were too. She burned the cake. And it was just a few years ago when we were sitting around talking about birthdays and different things that I asked mom if she remembered when she burned my birthday cake. And she said, do you remember that? I said, yeah. And then I described the icing to her and everything. And uh, she said, that was the day you turned two in Guadalajara. And I thought, really? Me and food have this thing. I can't really, (laughs) I don't know. But uh, anyway, so I got to grow up on the mission field on the Mexican border and Dad, who was from Jackson, he grew up on Bailey Avenue, and then, at about eight years old, they moved to Glendale, right behind Wells Methodist Church, which is where they went to church. That's where he grew up. My grandmother taught Sunday school there for 20 years, second grade, second grader Sunday school. Anyway, I have a just great heritage uh, with through dad there, Um, but we moved to the mission field, and Dad was a city boy. So, you have to keep that in mind when I tell you the story I'm about to tell you. There were two different appointments that Dad and Mom uh, ministered on uh, in Mexico. We had also we had a church in the United States, which is, we lived on the Texas side of the border, but we went into Mexico all the time. But on Fridays and Saturdays, we would alternate different villages that, where there were little church plants. and One of the, one of the villages actually had a church building. We, Dad built it. Um, pretty cool little building um the church the other village san vicente we met in people's homes and we did we met in that village on friday nights. uh that's when we had the service so typically after school on friday we would mom and dad come pick us up from school and we'd get in the suburban and go straight to the village where we were going to be because going to the village meant um You had to show up and let everybody know that we were having service that night, and then they would come to the service. So there was some visitation going on ahead of time. Anyway, I looked on uh, Google Earth just to see because I didn't remember these little details. As the crow flies, that village is about 22 miles from the house. But I confirmed this with Mom later uh, in a phone call. It took us about an hour to get there because you had to get all the way through Eagle Pass, which is not a big city or anything, a little town. But then you had to get through Mexico, and that was right after school, so pretty much a rush hour. We had to get through the little Piedras Negras town in Mexico, and then go down this highway, Highway Number 2, till you got to the turnoff to go to the little village of San Vicente, which is actually right on the river, uh, on the other side. But It was a four-mile jaunt from the highway to the little village, and uh, these little roads were just dirt roads, and there were intersections all through there, no signs, of course, no street signs, but uh, Dad was pretty ingenious uh, in a lot of different ways. Missionaries have to be, I guess. We carried a little roll of toilet paper under the front seat of the Suburban. Obviously, you know what toilet paper's for, but... uh, (laughs) When you're going out through Mesquiteville, which is just mesquite trees as far as you can see, and they're not very tall, um, you know, not any tall the tallest ones aren't any taller than that rail up there. Uh, and most of them are shorter than that. But it's just mesquite trees is all you can see. You, know, you, can't, you can't see very far. Anyway, it's in the afternoon, Friday afternoon. So Dad came up with this little strategy of every time we came to a crossroad where we needed to turn how he learned these roads I have no idea but you can imagine how hard it would be to remember oh that's that mesquite tree versus some other so anyway we would get out one of us boys would get out and roll a little bit of toilet paper on the stickers on on, you know mesquite trees are just thorn bushes really anyway roll some toilet paper on there and so on the way out in the dark you'd have this little friendly piece of paper waving at you And we we rarely got lost. I mean, we got lost a couple of times. But um, those little roads um, create a lot of parallels for us. You couldn't go very fast on these roads because they weren't kept. I mean, they were just bumpy roads. Sometimes if it had rained, there would be puddles. You'd have to dodge puddles. We got stuck so many times, it was unbelievable. Um, Because the dust on the Mexican border there, it's not sandy it's just it's just powder so when it gets wet you just slide on it you don't really sink into it you just slide on top of the ground um, but anyway it's nasty and when it gets hard when it gets dry it's just hard and then it powders again as people traverse it i guess but anyway um, that was our that was our in and out um, to the village that we went to there that village um, the reason I bring that up is because life is, is a road for us. We're reading a scripture today about forgiveness, or we've read a scripture today about forgiveness. But I want to tell you something about this passage of scripture. There's, there's some things that you can learn about your life that can help you straighten out your road. It doesn't have, your life doesn't have to be like those mesquite roads with just... Uh, A lot of easy to get lost in, easy to get stuck in. All you really hope is that you end up where you wanted to get when you left the highway. You just want your destination to turn out right. And then you want to get out on the way home in the dark. This particular idea of life being a road and our spiritual journey being a road, it's it's throughout the scripture, it's alluded to that way, that metaphor fits. I think it was robert frost and i don't remember the year he wrote a wrote a poem called the road not taken not the road less traveled which is one of the lines in the poem um it was a psychologist christian psychologist psychiatrist i think uh, scott peck that wrote a book titled the road less traveled and it's worthwhile reading it's good read but frost's poem was the road not taken um have you ever thought about your life being a decision that you made or a decision you have to make? Every time we came to those little crossroads and put toilet paper on a, on a limb, um, we were marking a decision, kind of marking a decision. But really it was a decision, it was hopefully a decision that had consequences in the dark when we were on the way back. But uh, it's Jesus who said, there's two ways, two roads. You can live or die on. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, uh, verse 12, He said, You ought to treat every other person the way you ought to be treated. And that, golden rule, it's called, we know it that way. He said, That's how you'll fulfill all the commandments, all the law, all the Torah, and the prophets. Just by treating other people the way you know you would want to be treated. That's a lot. For Jesus to say, you do this and you've actually done it right, lived right, that's saying a lot. But that's not all he said. In the very next verse, he said, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Then in verse 14 he adds, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Few are those who find it. Few. Doing the right thing, living the right way, is not just a chance. Entering the narrow gate is actually obeying Jesus, if you think about it. It would be obeying God to do the hard Make the hard decisions to do the right thing, to fulfill that golden rule. It's not an easy thing, but it's the way. John 14, 6, if you remember, Jesus said, I am the way. He was answering a disciple's question about where he was headed when he left this world. But this, the fact is still true. Jesus is the only way to life. Anything other than Jesus or leaving Jesus out would, would just be, as e. Stanley Jones put it, it's, our relationship to God is the way and any alternative is not the way. That's, it's that easy. We're that simple. What we learn from David in the psalm is that uh, it is kind of complicated. It is kind of complicated. simple. Profound, the call, the instruction, but the reality is a little more complicated. Listen to these words about forgiveness. This is verse verse 1 of Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, the man against whom God doesn't hold an account, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Those are four different descriptions of the way sin complicates our life and how to deal with that. I know we talk about forgiveness of uh, just, I don't know how we make little of it. We say, you know, if you do something that's wrong, just say, I'm sorry, and it's all fixed somehow. But well, when we read the Gospels, this business of Jesus coming into the world and going to the cross and then dying to take away our sin. And then rising again to restore our life. And then calling us to not just be believers in him with our head, but followers of him taking up across ourselves and leading other people into his life. Making disciples of everyone in the world. That's a, that's hu- those are huge things. So when we think about forgiveness, we shouldn't be surprised that forgiveness is not just saying, Oh, I'm sorry. But it is, as we heard in the children's sermon, uh, repenting, doing something different, changing our way. There's that word again. Changing the way we do life, the direction our life's going. Listen to these next couple of ideas from verse 4 and 5. David said, I'm sorry, verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones decayed inside of me. we're talking about forgiveness and he's just describing the process of getting to that place he said when i kept my mouth closed in my with regard to confessing my sin to god my bones just wasted away through my groaning every day the misery of having sinned and not going to god with our sin we know we have the capacity to do the wrong thing but god has created us with the privilege of going to him, just being honest to God. Night and day, verse 4 says, your hand was heavy on me. Let me ask you this. How is your road trip with the Lord going today? Is his hand in your back? Do you feel that way? (laughs) Do you feel close to him? I don't know how you could sit through the worship songs and everything prior to this moment and not be drawn closer to him, regardless of whether your head is facing the right direction on the road or cockeyed. He then said in verse 4, my strength was dried up like it was the heat of summer. Well, we've had some warm days, but uh, they've been humid days, so I'm not going to talk about Mississippi heat. I want, to, I want to tell you about a, a summer back, about 1979. We had had a drought of 14 months. <clears throat> I didn't know that they hadn't been keeping records that long. Um, but you can go back and look at drought records for Eagle Pass, Texas, on the border town uh, area just a couple of years ago, like 2006, a few years ago. <laughs> Not a couple. Uh 06, they had almost two years of drought, so 14 months, because I, I remembered hearing that Margemont was the lady on the radio that would, we listened to, the San Antonio radio, and uh, Marge Munt would come on the air, and she would tell the weather or whatever the news was. And I remember distinctly hearing her say, it's been 14 months with zero measurable rainfall for that area. And that's a long time. I mean, there was no grass growing. There was no weeds growing. There was no nothing growing. Um, except uh, there were some cactus cactus I don't know how cactus survive, but they do. I remember watching the, the farmers in those villages they were taking a, a settling torch and burning the stickers off the cactus so their cows would have something to eat and then I remember watching we'd go back to the village and there'd be dead cows everywhere they didn't make it there was nothing for them nothing for them to eat um, it was really sad but <clears throat> That summer was a 14-month drought season. So uh, things were dry, very dry. When I think about spiritual dryness, that's what I compare it to. Nothing's happening. Not hearing from God, not looking for God, not thinking about God, not thinking about anybody else's needs. That's where spirituality ends up. When we hide sin, we're not hiding it. From God, but we're not being honest to God with it. That's going to be important in just a minute because I'm going to tell you about what happened the Friday night we went down for a service. Verse 5 says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He didn't just change his mind. He called on the Lord. And he confessed his sin. Now, we all know the sin that David is talking about. I didn't realize that there are seven, there are only seven penitential psalms, seven psalms where David's asking for forgiveness or dealing with forgiveness in the psalm. This is the only one, Psalm 32, is the only psalm after the forgiveness happened. So he needed some forgiving. He had done some horrible things, including murder and adultery, but lying to everybody in the process. There was so much. I'll get to that in a second. How sin ruins everything we touch, but it ruins us, and it ruins the people whose lives we touch. But he said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There's a little change in the tone of the psalm. He stops talking about the blessing of forgiveness and starts talking about the Lord. Just a little intimacy there. Listen to this next verse. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you can be found. When trouble comes, That won't be possible. It's very heavy. I, I'm interpreting that, uh, that part of the text that says, Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. <clears throat> water. In the Old Testament anyway, <clears throat> water is used so many different times to, to describe God's punishment. You have the flood. You have God drowning Egypt's army in the sea. Um, So there's this association with water that's like, uh, when it gets too far gone, it's too far gone. So go ahead and get right. That's That's what David's saying. Call on the Lord when he can be found. Pray to the Lord. He's waiting for you. He already knows. And he loves you. What's more, he loves you and wants you back, wants you clean. Between he and you, he doesn't want anything to be in the way. And so then he describes it this way in verse 7. You are a hiding place for me. You are my hiding place. My safe place. He's not talking about a place at all. He's talking about God. My relationship with you is my serenity. That's, what I'm, that's where my life is. That's where my life comes from. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I remember Dad died in in 2013. But I I remember so many times over the years, he had this little question he would ask people, um, mostly Christian guys and ladies, but um, they were already believers. He wasn't asking them if they were Christians. But this is what he would say. I don't know where he got it from. It just stuck with me. He said, brother, you got the victory? That's what he would ask. Do you have the victory? Are you walking in the victory? When I hear this phrase in in the psalm, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. Man. Do you know anybody that knows the Lord that's bound up in some junk? Do you know anybody like that? Pray for them. Reach out to them. Maybe you find yourself that way. You believe, but your life seems to be a contradiction half the time. Because maybe because you haven't really gotten honest with God. That's what he's there for. That's what Jesus came here for. To give us life. To clear all the things up that need to be cleansed from us. I hope you live in victory today. But it seems that God interrupts that psalm right at that point. So up to that point, David's looking back and he's thinking about all the things that he had done and all the things that God has forgiven and changed in his life. I mean, he didn't fix everything. I mean, there were some things, you know, nobody was bringing Uriah back. Um, but his heart was right. His peace between he and God was right. He had clarity for the way he intended to live the rest of his life. And he lived it well, if you you read the rest of David's story. But it's in the middle of that business of looking back and all the things that God's done and the victory that he now has, that God says these words, verse 8 and 9, I will instruct you. Three things. I will instruct you, I will direct you, and I will counsel you. Hearing hearing David say, you are my hiding place. You are my safety. You are my serenity. That's that's wonderful. That's sweet. But listen at the intimacy that God offers. David looks back to to his past sin and his past forgiveness. God looks back even further before all that junk went wrong. Um, Before David went wrong. He said, I will instruct you. There's a, I don't know what you would call it. Misunderstanding doesn't really cover it. You know, there's so many people that think about the Old Testament and the law of God as some kind of oppressive, restrictive demands, you know, what you can't do kind of thing. Um, he does tell us what not to do. But did you know that the idea behind Torah is not law, like legal law, but instruction? like a parent instructing a child. Not just a child, their child. That's the sentiment behind all of God's instruction is a father trying to preserve his children. So many of the promises that come from God come in connection with us following his instruction for us. Honor your father and your mother. Your life will be long. Remember those? Um, But that's what his instruction is like. And so when he tells David, um, I will instruct you, he's, he's talking about preventative instruction. He said, I'll help you. I'll actually teach you. It's not just information. It's not just rules. He wants to be involved in your everyday life. He wants to guide our life. And that's the very next thing he says. He said, I will instruct you. And then he said, and I will teach you the way you should go. That's directions. That's directions have you ever needed direction y'all just went through some really crazy waters i'm gonna say murky waters Uh, most most of you knew exactly what you thought the direction you ought to have been uh, taken but god directing you is sweet when you know you can call on the lord and say lord you give us peace you give us unity about this you give us direction that's his business God's all about moving us his way. And just remember, Jesus said, I'm not here to offer you directions. I'm here to offer you me. I'm the way. Follow me. I have something in common with you. Now, I'm a member of Lakeshore Methodist Church in Byron. But um, when Dad grew up at Wells, when he was 14, um, they had a hard time accepting some of, the, some of the teachings that were being put into the curriculum, Sunday school curriculum and other things. Um, they had a, they were a group of people, you know, there were about 60 of them. But um, they approached the pastor there and said you know, Pastor Case, we need to know what, um, what our alternatives are. And so he called Dr. Austin Watson who was the, happened to be the state chairman of the Mississippi Conference of Congregational Methodist Churches, and he said, listen, I've got a, I've got a group of really good people here that are looking for a, a denomination that's a little more in line with where they believe God wants them to live and practice uh, their faith. And so Dad, he was 14, he signed the charter along with my grandparents and Uncle Rob and all these other Christians. And that, that's where Lakeshore Church came from. We were birthed out of wells, um, but they they felt they had to do something. Now, I don't know that that makes, you know, looking back sounds a lot like a lot could happen then. But um, because my dad did that and answered a call to preach a year later and became a missionary about seven years later, uh, that's why I grew up on the mission field and probably why I'm a believer today. Um, our decisions have consequences, but... God directing is really all we need to be concerned about, right? Where's God directing you right now? You don't have to know the answer to that question. You just have to be close enough to God that he's the one directing you. I think the insight to that is in the last part of that verse. He said, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. But then he adds this, I will counsel you with my eye on you. I think it was John Stott that I heard describing just how, just what the implications of that statement are I think in Hebrew the, the word is my eyes fixed on you would be a more literal translation but this is what it means it, it, it's the direction or counsel or comfort that a parent gives to a child by looking them in the eye that's the That's the nature of the instruction and the direction in the first part of the verse. It's you look at me, you deal with me. And if you get out of line, I'll let you know. But you'll know because you're close enough to me, you can not read my mind, but follow me. That's how he intends to lead us. It's not by saying things and pointing things and pressuring things. And the reason we know that is because of the next verse, which says, just don't be like a horse or a mule. In other words, don't expect me to lead you and teach you and counsel you like you treat a a horse or a mule who won't do anything until you put something in their head, mouth, and a bridle attached to it, and force them. Do not expect God, I think this is fair to say, do not expect God to force you to be close to Him. He loves you. He made you. He's offered Himself to us. It's on you to come back to Him. It's on you to call on Him. It's on you to open your Bible and listen to God's Word. It's on you to pray to Him. Take your brokenness, take your hurt, take your concern, take your fear. We have to draw near to him. That is the prevention for all the sin problems. Yeah, there's ample forgiveness, but God doesn't just want to deal with naughty whatever. Nor does he want to deal with mules. You know, a mules problem, I don't know that much about mules, honestly. Except they have a small brain compared to their body. Um, have you ever seen anybody try to force a mule when they didn't want to do something? You are not going to move a mule. I've got a friend down in Crystal Springs. He had a mule. He gave it away, and the mule didn't want to be away from home. And so they had to pull the mule with a truck. They couldn't get it. They couldn't load it. They couldn't move the thing. So they finally attached a rope to the mule. <laughs> and the mule sat in the road and they drugged the mule on his rump until they gave up. They said, he wasn't selling the mule, he was giving him away. But the donkey wasn't being given. He wasn't going. And he didn't. He never did. Um, you ever known a Christian like that? You ever known a Christian that it doesn't matter how many promises of heaven and promises of service and glory and the kingdom... You can't get them to move. Have you ever been that stubborn? Horse, you know, horse is just about the opposite of that. Horses, as big as they are and as graceful as they can look at times. Have you ever seen a scared horse or a startled horse or a spooked horse? They will kill you to get away from whatever it is that bugs them. I mean, it doesn't have to be a cattle gap. It, it could be something. Uh, who knows? Uh, I've heard so many people tell about horses taking off while they were on top of them, uh, riding them, and uh, taking them under tree limbs (laughs) and taking them off their back and just to get back to the barn for no apparent reason. Just had to be there, you know, impulsive. You you ever known a Christian like that? Tell you what, I don't care if it's wrong. This is what we're going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Just if you don't like it, get out of my way. Have you ever been that kind of Christian? This is going to hurt. This is going to cost. This is going to break things. This is going to hurt people. Who who cares? I'm going to do what I want to do. That's the two (laughs) options. God said, "Don't, don't expect me to deal with that. Come to me. Look me in the eye. And I will be God to you. And you can be my servant, my people. you ever get back around to the barn there might be some forgiveness there i mean god will be there when you come back but that's not where he promises to transform us he wants to nurture and instruct us he wants to guide and direct us to his end i gotta finish up Um, it was it was a friday night We had gotten to the village it was time for the service to start and thunder struck and immediately the bottom fell out rain was pouring down and um, dad was in the doorway of the little house that we were in we're about to have service mom already had her little accordion out we're about to start singing and we never got to the first song dad said Glenda we've got to go and if you knew about the dirt roads, and if you knew about what happens to toilet paper when the rain comes, and if you had seen that rain shower that hit, a uh, 14-month drought ended that night. Um, wasn't quite dark yet, but it was coming. So you just picture the worst-case scenario. That was my dad standing there in the door of that little house, panic look on his face, and we all just packed up and went and got in the suburban. As we're going to the door. Somebody in there, I don't know if it was the lady that owned the house or somebody else there, they said, Would you mind if this lady got a ride with you back to the city? I remember that because very few, rarely, would anybody ask for a ride. I mean, it probably happened four or five times, I'm sure. But that night, it was like, Really? You want to be away from home in this kind of thing? I don't remember really processing all that as a kid i just remember them asking if she could go um so what i also remember is i didn't get to sit in the seat i was in the back of the suburban my two younger and older brother they always remain in seats but if we ever had guests i got to go in the back of the suburban i I probably offered to because i loved laying down in the back of the suburban watching the stars and i don't know what i remember is when we got we loaded up And got to the school where we always took a left and then started hunting paper. We got to the school and started to turn left and this little lady who was sitting between my brothers in the middle seat of the suburban, she said, Pastor Donnie, she said, don't take the road to the left. I couldn't see the expression on my dad's face but I could see the expression of his body language from behind. He kind of leaned back (laughs) He had His glasses were already steamed up. He was panicking. I could just tell Dad was falling to pieces thinking about well, not, not only are we going to get lost and stuck and never make it home alive, now we've got an old lady in the backseat to take care of. Like, um, I didn't mean it that disrespectfully at all. Um, I'm an old man. So we're, uh, we're sitting there, and she said, you need to take the road to the left. And what I knew was, I didn't know there was a road to the left we had never been down that road but she said it just as naturally as she could say it she said you need to take the road to the left because that road will take you straight to the highway she said it's a longer road that's why all these shortcuts are all out through the wilderness over here mesquite wilderness but she said that road is rock bottom all the way to the highway Then she said, I grew up in this town. I know that road like the back of my hand. You can get through life your way, the hard way, with sin. You can do whatever you want to do. Or you can let the Lord into your world, right in the middle, like that little lady was for us. Jesus Not only knows the way, he is the way. The Holy Spirit knows God's will. And we need it. And he wants us to be close enough we can tell by his voice where out is. Would you bow your head with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we need you today to deliver us from all evil. We know that there is pardon, ample forgiveness at the foot of the cross in your loving heart. But God, we don't want to just live in struggle. We want to thrive. We want to live in victory. We want to be with those who shout and rejoice in the glory that Jesus has brought us to live in. God, I pray that you would help us to be, every one of us to be, instructed by you, directed by you, counseled by you, face-to-face, eye to eye, heart to heart. We ask this in the name of your Son who knows us and knows your heart. In Jesus' holy name, amen.